So any person that wants to be a good coach, first and foremost, has to be a student of the sport. Always be learning. But you've got to get your knowledge level to a point to where you know what you feel is right or wrong and is it the right time or is it the wrong time. And as we explained earlier, I do some things that I believe is the safest and the best way to jump far. There's other jumpers that jump a different style than what I teach that are successful. Doesn't mean they won't be, but you've got to have a clear picture of what you want to do with that athlete and not veer off the course. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode nine of the Water Ski Podcast. This episode is part two of my interview with uh, Jay Bennett. Uh, this is, I'm super stoked about this. This is an episode talking for an hour just about coaching. Uh, something that, in my opinion, in my sport, we don't hear enough about. Uh, there are names in the sport that a lot of people respect and um, they get training from. Uh, some people don't have this fortune to get training from, so they ski with their you know, ski partners and, and figure it out on their own. Um, but again, despite the listener, I think this is a great, great episode. Uh, Jay shares all sorts from you know, his early days coaching, what he believes works for him in terms of coaching athletes of any level, um, talks about some of the recent experiences he had as a coach, uh, both uh, for the U.S. team at the Pan Am Games and as a uh, coach of some athletes that competed in Malaysia for the Worlds this year. Um, and he also talks about some very important stuff like how you develop trust with your athlete, how you become a better coach over time, um, some advice for new coaches, and also something that I found profoundly interesting, which is how do you find you know, the uh, fortitude to step back and the humility to step back when you see there's something, some things might not be working. Uh, so yeah, without further ado, uh, enjoy the second part of my interview with Jay. I just want to take the opportunity to thank him for sitting down with me for a while. We had some microphone issues, we had some people stepping in whilst we were doing the second part. But uh, overall, I hope you guys enjoy this. So, yeah, here's part two. All right, Jay. So for this second episode, I really want to focus on coaching. Okay. And uh, we have obviously talked in the first part about uh, your beginnings and, you know, what you've been able to accomplish as a businessman, as a skier. But I really want to focus on coaching because I do believe you're one of the best coaches in water skiing. Well, thank you. And you've coached and mentored so many athletes through the years um, and I really want to pick your brain about coaching okay so let's start again we did say it's a family sport and as you know in water skiing a lot of people help each other out you know um, oftentimes even competitors help each other out but how did the coaching passion start for you well I think when I got to a point to where I was not being able to 
put in the time, both time-wise and physically, to ski for myself. Uh, you know, when you start a ski school, you go all the way back to when you were in a club situation. You always try to help people. Right. I mean, uh, this is back to kind of part of the segment that we that I didn't say in in the uh, evolvement of the ski school, but <clears throat> it really started kind of getting my attention when uh, a gentleman named George Blair came out to water ski with us on False River. And we had a ski club. We didn't know, didn't think anything about it, having a ski school or ever starting it as a business. And so this is a perfect point, perfect example. A gentleman came out and he skied and I helped him with some basic, you know, 28 mile an hour, 30 mile an hour slalom skiing. And he was an avid barefooter at that time and helped him with some barefooting. And he goes, uh, really appreciate it. And, and, uh, he leaves and leaves a nice note on the table. Mm-hmm. He leaves his note on the table, and he was a very wealthy businessman from up north of New Jersey, and everybody knows who Banana George is now, but that's when he first got involved in the sport and left me like $60 on the table for a couple of rounds of coaching, you know, and we were lucky back then if somebody paid for some gas because right. you, know, you always cooked and you had to camp and you had to boat. You were pretty popular. You always had people out there skiing and we had a little ski club. So I kind of looked at that. You know, he, three months later, two or three months later, he comes back out there and we do the same thing, maybe one set more. And he said, Jay, you ought to really consider getting into the ski school business. He said, you, you know, I really enjoyed your coaching. And he leaves a note on the same table and we walk in there and it's a hundred dollars this time, you know. So, right. Ann looks at me, and I look at Ann, and go, you know, maybe there's something to this ski school thing. <laughs> right, right. But you know, it all starts the same way. You just you're you're wanting to help people and mentor people, and and passionate about your sport. So that that's kind of how that got started. That's a super cool story, actually. And you know, and and I think he obviously, as we all know, had a huge influence on promoting the sport with all the activities he got involved in. Absolutely. You know. Um, and then how far off in between when you started ski school here, like how much time it was between when you started ski school and you got to coach some competitive water skiers? Yes. What happened kind of is, uh, having some success with developing a reputation as a coach, I guess, uh, started getting your scholarship skiers into ULL and ULM places like that. So, um, Sherry Sloan was a young lady from from Midwest, had a scholarship at at NLU, ULM, and and came down, and uh, she was a nationally ranked skier, a good skier at the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we decided to get together, and she was working at the ski school, and I started coaching her, so she moved, and she moved in down here full-time, and uh, she ended up, going to school at LSU. Yep. So from a full-time standpoint, she was probably one of my very first, but it goes back even further than that. I had a young man named Kenny Altour, and Kenny still water skis today. He's a great family. Uh, he's at a young age. He moved in, and what the kids were doing, like they do at other places, they, they move in, and they're full-time, and Ann and I are their, their parent and guardians, and they go to school at, at – uh, in Zachary's school system and come in in the afternoon we hit the water so 
goes back to the first one, our first living is Kenny Altour. became very, very successful. He, uh, in, in amateur level, he broke Carl Roberge's boys' record, boys' one record, and wow. or boys' two then, I guess. And then he broke Carl Roberge's boys' record. It was junior boys and boys back right, then. Right, right. And, and then he was getting a lot of notoriety to to be one of the best coming up. And Kenny skied professionally, and I think his best finish at, at a world level was seventh. Uh, but he was one of the very first live-ins that we had. And then uh, a young lady named Stacy Spiker, who also went to school on a scholarship well before Sherry at ULM. She was one of the original people at ULM. She took a, a year off and moved in and trained with me so we we kind of started that process with several different people and then at one point in time we had quite a few of them chris sullivan yep uh being being one of them was one of the live-ins here and so starting to have some success with the juniors that we're living in um and people seeing their success and sherry being out there you know became dominant uh, in the women's world of jumping, but Sherry was also a strong overall skier. She finished third at the Worlds one year in overall, and she fortunate enough to win a world uh, jump championship and was fortunate enough to break the world jump record in her in her time. So she dominated for a long time. And another person that was incredibly involved in promoting the sport of water skiing from, from a, a work ethic standpoint and putting her own money into the sport when her and Jennifer Leachman started the women's tour. Yep. Yeah. Now, I know you, and I'm guessing that, you know, like from George Blair telling you, hey, you're pretty good at this, you should probably consider it, to then having athletes, I just have the sense that you didn't take that for granted and you went and sought opportunity to learn about how to coach, right? You know, when you first started and, and you're building your reputation because the skiers were doing a good job out there. Uh, it's a learning process. I never quit learning right now. I yeah. learn from other good skiers. I learn from other coaches. I pay very close attention to what people are doing from a technique standpoint. Um, I've, I've had some great talks with you and, and learned an awful lot from you. I think at this point in time in my career, most of my su- uh, a large percentage of my success is coming from what I do with my skier off the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a lot of people do a good job with techniques. Now, I have certain techniques that I believe what works, and as we always say, there's more than one way to skin a cat, but there's certain things, especially with jumping, that I stay with, yep. and I don't get away from it. I stay very repetitious. I have yep. a lot of little steps that I want you to go through, and I can, and I can coach all three, but I really enjoy, I really, really enjoy coaching the, the jumping. But I think with the athlete today, there's so much out there for them to learn and know technically. I think my strength becomes as much off the water in preparation for an event, setting up a schedule for them where they need to be, where I want to see you, not now, but where I want to see you a year from now. Yeah. Uh, trying to give them that, trying to give them that vision um, of what what I want them to do, and then when we're at a tournament, you know. And you're there strictly, a coach is strictly there as a support personnel. You know, you're there for that athlete to ask you a question or give them a backing or a kind word or just something that's going to help them at that point in time, depending on where their emotional state is, when they get ready to go on the water to compete at a, at a pro event 
or at a world championship or whatever. So I've always tried to travel with my skiers. Yeah. Which and is I, uncommon in our sport. And and I think it's, that part is very, very important. And uh, it's, it's hard to do because you're sacrificing uh, a lot from your business. And you're sacrificing from your family. But I was able to, to kind of get back into doing a little bit more of this when Danielle and Steve came into the business picture and took the boat business and the pro shop over to where it allowed me to have more time. Yeah. And I can get over overwhelmed with too much of it. Uh, I'm happy to say I get quite a few requests and I'm unhappy to say that I have to turn down a good bit of it because I'm a kind of coach. Uh, if there's a downside for me, I live and die with my skiers' performance. And when they don't do as well as I think they were capable of doing, they've had a bad day, I'm having a bad day. I wear it on my sleeve. I'm yeah. a, a very – if there's one thing I could change about my mentality and my ability as a coach or a mentor, if I could learn to lower my stress level. But at this point in time, I don't think that's going to happen, and that's the only real negative because, you know, it's really fun when it's going good. And it's really fun when you push the right buttons. It's really fun when your skier has success. It's not so much fun when they don't do well because you feel so bad for them. And you question yourself of what could I done what could I've done in this preparation to make it better. Yeah, and especially in, in the way you coach, right? Because one thing is you're in the boat, you give some technical advice, okay, off you go with the next skier, and that's the kind of coaching you do the emotional involvement can only be so much but when you're like you take your approach with which i think is the successful approach particularly to coach athletes at the high level it's the off the water off the pitch like really making sure that their training is planned their their planning is planned which is what you alluded to and really give them a vision uh of where they they could be that doesn't happen in 10 minutes ski right does it yeah. it happens outside and that takes time away from from your you know business time from your family time and um no wonder that you you ski and and succeed and suffer with your athletes as well yeah it, and it's not all about coaching a pro skier that's already good you know i've got some other levels that i'm getting just as much pleasure seeing them get their first regional medal or whatever right right but it's really easy when you're so committed to spread yourself too thin. And I was trying, I'm working hard not to have fallen back into that category, but I struggle to say no, and then I feel bad when I tell people, I, I'm sorry I got all the, all the ones that I can handle right now. Right. And I also believe my success is greater when I have the person as a live-in. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy coaching some of the people you know I coach, but they're not here all the time. And so sometimes it's an accelerator program. Sometimes I'm doing what I call spot coaching, which I really don't like. Right. Hey, jump in the boat, Jay, and see if you can see this and give me a tip. And I think sometimes you can help, but I like the programs where I have complete control yeah. because I have a vision with that athlete where I think they can go. And I have to build that. I have to build that process into their mind and into their physical ability, 
and that's where I think I have the most success. And Sherry was probably the first one that I had the opportunity to go those, that number of years with. Chris Sullivan, I was lucky to have Freddie for five years. We had a great, we still have a great working relationship, incredible athlete. Freddie Krueger. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, you know, Ben Fabre was with me for five years. So, but Sherry was probably the first one that really I got the full program. And now at this point in time, uh, for two years, is, is Hannah. So yeah. uh, that's when I, I think I can do the best job is if I have control, complete control on a daily basis. Yeah. And, and, Yet, I want to hear your opinion on this because on one hand, of course, because especially you're doing so, so much off the water, you need to exert some kind of control. But then on the other hand, you want, like you have to adapt to your athlete and you have to make sure the athlete also grows in the process to where they can recognize things, right? Like they might not be at a tournament with you all the time. Sometimes you can travel. So how do you balance that, like, wanting to control their routine and them learning about themselves. You know, you, you're making a very good point because how do you become a good coach and never quit learning? Right. You know, one of the things I learned with Sherry is that up until the latter years, latter uh, years of her career, I was carrying the three-event bag. I was at the event with her. We even had headsets in her in her helmet where we I could talk to her when she was on the water and I learned something very valuable as a coach at that point in time after her career that I've got to prepare those athletes for when I'm not there for they can think for themselves and figure out what they need to do it's a great situation for us to be there working as a team but you can't always be there right and the other value the other variables are in this these equations because every skier is different you have family involved with that skiers you have relationships involved with that skier they're not necessarily from this country right you know when you're when you have them here in in your environment you know what to do with them but you don't have all the variables that you need to have and knowledge of what they have going on in their life Right. And all that really plays a part in your end result. Yeah. So it really is beyond, right? Like, so I think that's why being a great coach of high-level skiers or any athlete for that matter is so much more complicated. Because it is. you, all of a sudden, it takes long time to make small improvements. And those small improvements are not going to be just bend your knees, move your hips, but it's strategy for tournament planning the mental side the physical side nutrition uh, relationships stress management there's so many slices to the pie and the great coach has to all of a sudden now manage or at least manage more than control almost all of them that's absolutely the attempt you know it's i call it the the big picture right it's full circle you got to be able to do it all and i hope that's one of the things that that I understand good. It's one of the things that you never quit learning, uh, especially when you got the high-end skiers. Everyone in the world wants them to do well. Mm-hmm. So everybody's coming up, giving them tips. Right. And it not necessarily means it's bad tips, you know. It's not. It's normally good stuff, but they've got to keep their direction and their focus on what our plan is, yeah. and thank those people for helping. But this is what I got to do to stay on track. 
Yeah. And that's hard for the athlete because they're, they're getting pulled from every direction. And I think is you know, like the whole idea of like hear many, listen few, commit to one, you know, yeah. like I think that's a skill that athletes ought to learn as they try to, to make it to the next level, right? You know, we go back to, we talked about earlier about the support group. Yeah. It's just not what I'm doing. You know, I've got to have a good driver out there. My family's got to understand that I'm what I'm trying to do with that athlete. Yeah. My family still water skis. My wife is skiing at a very high level for her age. She's getting ready to go to the Pan Am Championships as a member of the U.S. team. Yep. You know, and her skiing is very important to her. So um, it, it's it's ba- the balance is probably the hardest thing for me because when I get committed to someone, especially when I have them full time, I mean I'm committed. And yep. it's kind of 24-7. So, you know, I would like to do a better job. I talk to you about it all the time of, of managing my own self, you know. So, but uh, that, that's the cool thing about it. And when you, when you see you have some success with it, it that's your pay. Yeah. And, and I think I, I've never really done it for, the, for money and for, you know, how much I charge per set or whatever. Right. I mean, yeah, I get paid. But that's not the end result. That's not where your real satisfaction comes through no. for me. No, no, it's not. And I think, you know, the same goes for high-level coaching as it goes for a high-level athlete. Like, so for you to be a high-level coach, which is a performance at the end of the day, it's not just about what you say. It's about your relationships. It's about the relationships that you manage to have amongst the athletes that you coach. It's your own physical and mental well-being. I mean, it, it becomes big picture for you as a coach as well. It, right? Absolutely, and and those times can be really, really hard. Yeah. So. And and they are and it's funny how they parallels the athlete, right? So, so you work so hard for the one opportunity, and then you do get it, and it's probably actually the thing that keeps you in. Yeah. So you do get that one satisfaction, that athlete that performs really well, no matter the level, honestly. Like you said, you know, you have athletes that you're following across the, the spectrum of performance, but they break through, and that's that keeps us going, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, you'll get in these situations where they're not making a pr- progression that you would like to see them make. Yeah. Um, and then so you're going, what what can I do different as a coach? Um mostly in the technique stuff that you're working with on the water mm-hmm. what you're doing right at this point in time is not working what how can i explain this in a different manner where they will understand and then with international skiers i have the language barrier that you know i've got to learn them they've got to learn me and uh so yeah it's very very difficult you normally see if your student is doing well your athlete's doing well normally the coach is doing well yeah if the student or your athletes not doing well you're not doing as well if you're really invested it's a real parallel there yeah it really is it really is um can you give me a story of when it did work well maybe in recent years or like early on like one particular episode that you remember like giving you a lot of satisfaction as a coach well you know there's there's so many of those those times i don't have anything right now at this point in time you know you remember you don't remember the past quite as much as you remember the future yeah but um you know we just came from the world championships in malaysia and and i don't want to spend a lot of you know a lot of negative time on that but it was a very challenging site right and so with my skiers i probably spent the most amount of energy 
in trying to get from one event to the next event to where they could do the best they could on the water. So that's the most recent thing that sticks out at me for me, and it's not one insulated isolation. It was the entire week because I had about five or six people that I was working with trying to help them get through these challenges, and believe me, there was a lot of challenges. And, you know, that's pretty much the, the newest thing and the latest thing that kind of sneaks out, yep. you know, sticks out to me right now. I'll yep. try to give that some thought here a little bit. Yeah, no worries. How was that experience? I mean, you you were there with the U.S. team, but you also had athletes competing in other teams. Um, I mean, a week of challenging conditions. It's obviously, you know, the biggest tournament that a lot of your athletes have worked towards getting ready for. How was the whole week like? Yeah, you know, I've been fortunate enough now to be back involved. I, I took the U.S. team to the Pan American Games yep. in Lima, Peru. And it's the first time I had taken any teams and had any involvement in a, in a official capacity since uh, about 1995, I think, is when I resigned off the U.S. Coaches Committee, but I stayed in touch. Yeah. And so it was really, really rewarding to go do that because, you know, when you take a team like that, that's not all athletes that you coach. Yep. These are athletes that you know, and some of them you don't even really know. So you're in a situation where you've really got to be a support person and just what can I do to help you kind of figure out what you need to say or what you need to do or not do, right. not do a lot, you know. Right, right. Just And then you've got the ones that were on that team, and I had Taylor Garcia and I had Regina Jaquis, and I've been working with those guys, and you're comfortable with what, what you tell them. So when you take a team like that, you're also trying to balance, uh, am I doing the best I can do for each individual? Yeah. And you don't know them all as well. So when we get to Malaysia, I'm not in an official capacity. Ah, okay. I'm always okay. going to be a you know, U.S. guy, and I was in the U.S. tent 90% of the time, and I know the athletes. And once again, two of the people on the team that, that I do coach uh, yeah. were involved. But then I had several of my people that I work with that aren't from. Okay, so this is the moment where whilst me and Jay were talking, someone stepped into the room and interrupted our uh, interview. So I'm just taking this little break to thank everyone who has been listening to the podcast, who has been rating and reviewing. Uh, it's been very encouraging. So spread the word with your friends and, and ski partners about this. And uh, let's continue the momentum. We're doing this. I'm doing this to really promote the sport of water skiing. The more viewers, the more listeners, sorry, the more this thing climbs on sports charts. And who knows, maybe that one person, and there's been many that wrote me about this, that, you know, have been skiing in a while, heard the podcast, maybe straps the ski on and goes and turns some buoys. So that's one of the big reasons why I'm doing this. But uh, enough with the pause, back into the interview. So we're talking about like obviously yeah. being in, in um, Lima for the Pan American Games yeah. and the challenges that occur, yeah. right? And you know, and it was and it was great. I was fortunate enough to have a team leader as a close friend of mine. Yeah, has been involved with us from the days that he and his wife worked at our ski school. So we had a great trip. We ended up with five gold medals. That's, that's really the most that the U.S. team had gotten in past Pan American uh, Games. So we had a good deal, and then. We're not two, three weeks out of 
going to Malaysia, which really hard trip for everyone involved, you know, because it's, it's, it's the travel. A lot of times the travel preparation, things such as that you need to do to be able to form your best. So in Malaysia, I have uh, several skiers that I'm trying to help that are, are not U.S. skiers. Yep. And uh, so you're trying to get around to everyone and you're trying to balance it the very best you can. And in those trying situations, it was very stressful and hard work as a coach. Right. And when, and when you have that number of skiers, unfortunately, everybody doesn't do as well as they'd like to do. Of course. But we had great success, and uh, um, some things could have been better, but overall it, it, it turned out real well. But it was a considerable amount of work. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to touch with you is the mental side because, I mean, of course because of my training, uh, but also because I believe, you know, jump tends to be your favorite event, and I think that jump is the most psychological event of the three. And I, the reason why I say that is it's an extreme sport. You have, like, generally speaking, if you want to go further, you have to overcome some fears and really, you know, push out of the comfort zone. And also it's the simplest in terms of movement, right? So it really becomes that off the water and on the water mental side. And I wanted to hear what are some of the things that you learned over the years that can help jumpers maybe, you know, overcome a crash or push it a little further in order to gain some some feet, you know? You know, that's a very good question, and, and I'm going to have two parts to that. Yeah. One part's going back to when I have the ability to work with you every day, how I break everything down, and repetition is the key for me especially if someone is coming off of a crash. You have to back up. I think one of the biggest things, no matter what time of the ser- – where you are in your, in your season, if things aren't moving forward like you want it to, most athletes just keep charging. Mm-hmm. And you've got to stop and you've got to go back. You've got to back up and you've got to work on some of the basic things – that are not at the high performance level, some of the basic fundamentals. So if you're doing it correctly as a coach and you're breaking it down, you're doing a tremendous amount of repetition. You're going out there doing it over and over and over and over and over where the mechanics seem the same. And even though the athlete's not a machine, they can get some real consistency in what they're doing. And until you get consistency at a certain drill or a certain level or a certain point of what I'm working with you on, you don't need to move to the next level. Yeah. But even in the middle of the heat of the battle where you got a really big tournament two weeks from now, I've had tremendous success to say, stop the boat, let's back up, let's take a breath here, let's go back and work on some of these fundamentals, and then we'll see if we can move forward again. And I would say nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, it works really well. But mentally, it's the part that we're dealing with and the fact that nobody wants to back up at that time. Right. I've got the world championships in two and a half weeks. What are you, do, what are you making me do single cuts? I'm making you do single cuts because you've lost your position at the base of the ramp. You don't have the lift that you had, and we've got to back up and get that fixed. Yeah. That's a perfect example of it. Yeah. So you are in the mental 
stages with the athlete of them having insecurity because they're not skiing at the level they need to ski at and you've got to get them right mentally as well as what we're doing physically on the water and see like that's what i think your model is almost necessary for something like this right because if i'm training with you for two years in a row where we're working towards say the world championships or whatever tournament qualify for the masters whatever it is and you ask me two weeks before to go back, say, to 32 off back-to-backs. Absolutely. Unless I've been with you for two years and there's, I have trust in you yes. and you have trust in me, yes. I'm going to say you're, you're yeah. I'm going to leave, you know? Right. So, of, of course, now it seems clear to me why you need that model. Yeah. You know? It's very, very clear to be, to do something besides what I call spot coaching, to have them believe that everything you're asking them to do will work. Yeah. Now, sometimes, you know, it doesn't always work out. Coaches make mistakes, too, and that's what I was telling you earlier about you never quit learning. Yeah. I think what you have to do as a coach, you have you see or hear something differently, you evaluate it, and you think, you look at it and say, you know what, I'm really not on the same page as what they're trying to do there. Yeah. There's more than one way to skin a cat. So it doesn't mean people are wrong in what they're doing. Doesn't mean they're not being successful. It's just you have to stay true to what you understand mechanically on the water works. And we're talking mostly about jumping, but the same with slalom. Yeah. Things we talk about all the time. Tricks uh, too. I, I, yeah. I, I I enjoy slalom. Yeah. I enjoy jumping more, but I, I get it. You know, I, I got the slalom thing a little bit, but uh, jumping's where I like it the most. You know. So. Yeah. No, of course, and I really find it fascinating how you know like you develop trust with an athlete right and like you as a coach right so what do you think obviously you know on site but what are some of the things that help you develop trust with that athlete first and foremost through your process they've got to have some success Mm -hmm. if they are seeing success in your process then they start believing in you more and more and more and every time something works that you've been working on and you get that opportunity for them to have the light switch go on and say oh i get it now that's where the trust comes in if you're not getting the results two things skier you need to do something different as a coach or the skier needs to find another coach right Right. And that's just the hard, cold facts. Yep. Now, do they do we get to points where we're running into a brick wall? And any coach that's done it for any length of time understands the cycles of our sport or cycles of an athlete? Yep. We're going to have those down cycles. We're going to have those bad days. We're going to have the dark days. We're going to have all these things that go on in that athlete's mind. It's not even necessarily pertaining to their athletic ability, but it's still hurting our ability to do what we need to do on the water because of what's going on in their life, yeah. what's going on in their in their whole process. And that's the key to trying to find, keep that happiness or keep that that calmness or keep that uh, the mind where it needs to be for everyday training. Right, right, yeah. Keeping the eye, keeping the eye on the goals. Where I'm going to be, I said, said it earlier, I'm, I'm concerned about, I'm working with you, Mateo, in Slalom. I'm not really that concerned about where you are right now. What's our goal? What's our plan? Where are you going to be a year from now? That's what I like. 
yeah. to see that process and be involved with that process. Yeah. Knowing that there are up and downs, knowing that, you know, some, especially, I guess, at, at the high level, um, the breakthroughs are hard to come by and it takes a long time to come by them, right? Um, and so that's what I, I think it's even more challenging to get buying there than in someone who's trying to make it because the potential for a big improvement is there, right? Yeah. If you're, you know, at whatever level in jump or slalom or tricks, but if you're already at the high level, getting the trust and seeing success, right, um, can become challenging. Oh, a lot easier with the intermediate level because at the intermediate level, they probably haven't had, uh, you know, a whole lot of help with techniques and they're learning you know, they're learning as they go, and then, boy, when the light bulb comes on and they break through to another level and those levels move up, and like you, exactly what you said, the better you become when you become a pro skier, a half a buoy, a couple of feet in jumping, that new trick, it's a yeah. long time in between a lot of times to see that improvement. And even in the cycles of a pro athlete that's a, a veteran, last year, may have been great that doesn't mean this next year is going to be great right you know and uh that's always hard and then you put the other factors in there injuries unfortunately we always have some kind of little injury that you're dealing with especially with jumpers something pulled or nagging or elbows slalom you know that's that's a big factor also yeah and so with that in mind like the high level athletes and the fact that you know uh, success comes by takes longer time to make those breakthrough. And you said that for you to be successful as a coach and that relationship to be there with the trust, you need to have some success there. So how do you help the athlete understand what success is and how do you help them, you know, work towards it? You know, most athletes, it's communication without a question. Yeah. A lot of one-on-one. That's why I was talking to you earlier. I do a lot more talking off the water than I do on the water. And a lot more talking away from actually being out there on the lake. Yeah. So what we were talking about earlier is being able to make sense to what you're trying trying to the message you're trying to send to that to that skier for it to make sense to them. Right. And if it's not making sense to them, then you as a coach has to figure out a way to rephrase it so it does make sense. Yeah, so really like making that communication effort and making sure the athlete gets it, right? Yeah. Um, and don't be scared as a coach to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Listen as much as you can. Ask questions and get your athlete to open up. I have one in particular that really struggle with trying to get that communication, open up and tell me what you're thinking. Let me know what's going on. You know, I need those pieces of information from a coaching psychology standpoint are so important. Yeah. Yeah. So really getting to know your athlete and letting them express what they're currently feeling. Right. Um, What are what do you see the um, I guess it's a tough question to ask, but like when do you turn athletes down? You know, like, so let's say that you have time and you're working with an athlete. What are some of the indications that make you go, okay, this is not working? You know, I find myself, and and I'll go back to some of my past experience, 
when you're working with a skier on the water every every day you have a tendency to become blind to some of the mistakes that they're making yeah so you do one of two things and i've done it numerous times you get another coach involved that you trust to give a fresh eye to the look out there Mm -hmm. and you break away for a while and if you break away for a while it's normally off season and you start back the vision becomes clear again yep but don't ever hesitate to have a support group don't ever hesitate to have another coach that you feel competent in to get their get them in the boat get them to take a look give them to give you feedback because it's back to what I told you to be successful you've got to have a support group no one person knows it all it's impossible and I think it's so remarkable because I can I mean I'm sure you had situations where you had you know the the athlete is here you've been working with him or her for months and you know that you want them here in order to improve and that off time like off water time is so important and yet you you manage to step back that's got to be hard for you too yeah I think it's at the end of the day it's a, the end result comes out really good mm-hmm. because you know as a coach you're you're missing something you know as a coach you have been your eyes have become tired your mind has become tired you know you have to make that decision no matter how much you want to be with that athlete you got to you come to a point where you got to scratch your head and say hey I I got to do something different here what am I doing you know yeah. so that's where it comes from yeah but still I mean to me it's I mean I don't know that I would be able to do it you know like yeah. I think it's a challenging thing to do yeah. to take yourself away and of course it's for the benefit of the athlete which that's what coaching really yeah. should be about but I can see it emotionally be really hard well you and I have talked about this a good bit this is one of probably my hardest summer it may be because as you get older but maybe one of my hardest summers from an emotional standpoint of the number of people that I was working with for me to do as good a job as I think I should do yeah you know coaches are human too yeah of course they are coaches have the same struggles athletes have yeah coaches have the same struggles that normal people have it's uh you're 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 not you don't you're not in a situation where you, you can bypass that yeah and so you have to stop and you've got to take a look at what's going on with you and yes do i need some rest or no my vision's not clear i need to help this person or i need to let them do something a little bit different uh that being said with the ones that i that i have full time i, I don't want to lose complete control yeah so. yeah Look, um, I, I know there's a lot of people listening to this that um, they might be, you know, like you were at a time, a club member that loved to ride in the boat and help out. Or, and or, there might be some coaches listening to this uh, who are just starting. You know, they open their own ski school and they're trying to get, um, you know, athletes to buy in and to help them improve. What are some of the, let's go with three. Let's give them three recommendations on how to become better coaches you know that's a great question because i see a lot of times people out there coaching someone and they're not necessarily telling them something wrong 
It's just not in the right order. Uh-huh. So you need to get the training. You get, need to get a clear understanding. You need to go to coaches' symposiums. You need to read every article that you can read or pick up from a pro skier. And then you just put this together to the best of your ability. So I think coaching, to an extent, is the knack of being able to put the moving parts together. Mm-hmm. So another way to explain it, on a scale of 1 to 10, if, you, if I said, okay, Mateo, write down 10 coaching tips for this slalom skier that's getting ready to go out there on the water. Mm-hmm. And I've got Mateo's 10 coaching skips. Uh, tips and so I go out there and I start at number eight instead of at number one it doesn't mean I'm not telling them something's going to help them but is that really the area where you need to be working first no the other thing is breaking it down breaking everything down I'm really as I said earlier really really big on keeping as simple as possible but lots of repetition mm-hmm. over and over and over. So any person that wants to be a good coach, first and foremost, has to be a student of the sport. Yeah, be and big time. Always be learning. But you've got to get your knowledge level to a point to where you know what you feel is right or wrong, and is it the right time or is it the wrong time. And as we explained earlier, I do some things that – I believe is the safest and the best way to jump far. There's other jumpers that jump a different style than what I teach that are successful. Doesn't mean they won't be, but you've got to have a clear picture of what you want to do with that athlete and not veer off the course. Yeah. So let me see if I understand this correctly. Like you you obviously have to be a student of the sport and you have to come up with a theory of how you believe a skier should grow up. Absolutely. Knowing that, you know, you have different bodies in front of you, you have different minds in front of you, and eventually you have to adapt that theory to who you have in front of you. Yeah. But you have to have that theory, knowing that a theory changes. Like, that's how it works in science too, right? Like, yeah. you discover something new, equipment changes, and you have to adjust your theory, but you really have to be more than just someone that looks and gives tips, right? It's You have to have a theory of how you believe a jumper should grow or a slalomer or a tricker, you know, and, and, and that brings up another really good point. You have an intermediate-level skier or you have an older skier, sometimes the coach has to realize you've got to work around their flaw, mm-hmm. meaning a lot of coaches get online and we're going to change this, we're going to change that, you got to do it this way, hardcore, down the line, this is the way it's going to be. Right. With a pro athlete, that has the learning styles that we all know. They have great kinetics where they have a good feel of what's going on on the water. They have a great ability to have mental imagery. It's easier for me to add a technique to one of those high-end people. On an intermediate level, you're not going to change some things that they've been doing the wrong way for 20 years. Right. So find another way to help them. Right. But don't sit there and just hammer them on something you're never going to change. Work around that flaw, and you'll still have some success. And I think in order to be able to do that, 
as you said, you have to have your own understanding, well-educated, well-thought-of understanding of how someone should slalom yeah. or jump. Because then if you have that guiding theory, then you can sort of say, okay, the way in which I can achieve these fundamentals with this athlete who has this flaw is possibly X way or Y way or Z way, and you really adapt to the flaw. But if you are just big about three or four key concepts and that athlete don't have two of them, well, then you're lost. Yeah, right? correctly. Yeah. Okay, so a guiding theory and obviously wanting to learn about the sport. What else? Making sure you have a clear picture of what your steps are going to be with any skier. Yeah. And then learning that person, you know, being able to understand what all variables you're dealing with with that particular skier. Yeah. No, great. And one of the ones that I, I'm going to throw in a fourth one just because I know you well and I know you're big on this. Uh, and I don't think a lot of coaches in water skiing are focusing enough on this is periodization. So yes. the importance of rest, the importance of like understanding your body and how much you should ski and how much you shouldn't ski. So can you talk about that a little bit? You know, that's another one of those off the water points that you've got to learn you've got to read you've got to study you've got to work with people like yourself to understand what to do and that's a perfect example let's say when i did have four or five live-ins yeah there were juniors i'm charting their stuff every day i'm charting the psychological stuff good or bad having them write it down on paper i'm charting resting heart rates which for me was a big tool for being able to create the training schedule Yep. So basically what works for you in your training schedule, being a slalom skier with a work schedule of how many times a day are you going to take a slalom ride and how many days are you going to take off into your rest cycle is going to change versus a female that's doing slalom trick and jump. Right. Okay. So all of those pieces going together, it gets very complicated in the fact that you've got to have a way to monitor it. We're also wanting to make sure we don't get completely away from the gym work. But in the off-season, our gym work becomes very, very top of the list. And then once we get into the season, some people can keep uh, a nice little gym workout, bringing it down 50, 60, 70% of what they would do uh, in the off-season. And then some people, it just doesn't work. They just can't manage the gym and get the ski rides in and get through the rest cycle. So, yeah, you know, that's a really big deal of understanding. And the problem we run into with any athlete to get them to believe in this schedule that we want them to ski is getting them to listen to their body. Mm -hmm. They're mentally revved all the time. They take a situation where they think four times on the water is good and eight times is that much better. Right, right. And I had a long relationship coaching and she had many coaches but had a long relationship in trying to help her with her training program toward the end of her career and it was Ronnie Barton and Ronnie is one of those overachievers works 10 times harder than the other person yeah and that mentality was really hurting her going into a world championships and stuff she was overdoing everything yeah and once you know we talk about nervous energy I said Ronnie, you stick to this schedule. We're cutting it 50%. 
and going into the world championships. If you got nervous energy, then go to the gym and get some of that energy out that way. Out dealt with that way, but I don't want you on the water any more than what the schedule says. In her last world championship, she ended up having the best worlds. That's cool. So those are points that prove to you it does work. Yeah, proper periodization is crucial. Absolutely. Particularly in a sport like this where when I talk about my like with colleagues or friends that are not in the water skiing and they ask me, how long do you train? How long are your training sessions? And you give them the number of, of minutes, they laugh, but they don't understand that it's so intense on the body and especially it can be intense on the mind. Yeah. Like um, one of my friends, Carlo Alais, he always told me, running 39 is hard on the body, but it's even harder on the mind, right? So I would you agree with that, yes. <laughs> you know, so you have to find a way to periodize that, like you can't overdo it even if your body tells you that you can. So I think that balance and, and teaching athletes about that balance is, is crucial, crucial tip for all those coaches out there that are starting or that they want to improve their coaching. Yeah. Well, if, if they have the passion, they'll find a way to get the education. Yep. And there's no substitution for experience uh, and you never quit learning. Yeah. You know, if you if you're in a situation where you feel like you've got it all and there's nothing else to learn from anybody, then you're going the going the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I think like education formal and informal, right? So courses, then I know you've done a ton of those, uh, or just learning from other coaches. Uh and learning experiences, yes, from other coaches, but especially and I think you would agree this from your athletes. Like a lot of great deal as a coach you do learn from mistakes and successes that you have with your athletes and from what your athletes tell you. Yeah, the mistakes are something you don't want to have happen, but you learn the most from the mistakes. And as the years went on evolving, I hope I make less mistakes with my athletes, but some things that I did and had success with those people back then, I learned from those mistakes. Yeah. And uh, a lot of it's the, the way you handle the person off the water. The other thing is for any coach or anybody that's wanting to become a coach or have more knowledge, just get get out there. Yeah. Listen. Get in people's hip pocket and hear and listen what they have to say. Some invaluable little tips that you'll pick up along the way that you put together into this big puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, so really have that guiding theory, but you have to listen to others as well. And then you adjust it if you need it. It needs to be adjusted, but if not, absolutely, you know, you st it's still an opportunity to You'll get to, learn. to a level that you have your own theories and you know that that tip you heard will work within your theories or it's not something that works within your world. Yeah. You know, so everything you hear out there is not necessarily right, but you got to take all that information in and then you've got to have the ability to siphon through it yourself and put it together for your plan. Yeah. Well, Jay, I think, well, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Uh, this has been a true pleasure and a privilege to talk coaching with you. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Matteo. Thank we've you had, so much. We've had some good times. Yeah. Any final thoughts? No, just uh, hope everyone tunes in and enjoys this and uh, really like what you're doing. And I hope you continue this work because, you know, people don't realize it takes a lot of time and effort. Yeah, well, thanks a lot. I'll keep trying. All right. Thank you. Okay.
Thank you.